I remember one time we were playing early on at, at the chapel, and this we had this bag, and everyone had pulled something out yep. and eat it. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what it was, but one of the girls, uh, she ate it, and she went right for the bathroom. It was just crazy. So I'd say for us, because we've never been a big game kind of group, because we're a smaller group yeah. of smaller church. And so when we tried to do it, it was out of our element. We It cost a lot of money, and the return on it really wasn't, wasn't good. Welcome to the Disciple Making Youth Ministry Podcast, where we talk about the calling of youth pastors to equip students for the work of making disciples, moving teens from church attenders to disciple makers. Here are your hosts, Joel Friend and Jeremy Collins. Welcome to the Disciple Making Youth Ministry Podcast. This is a, a, a crucial day in our podcast. Groundbreaking. Groundbreaking because... This will be the first time where it's not just your voice and my voice, Jeremy, but we have a third voice at the table. We are excited today to welcome Joe Williams. This whole episode is on long-term learns and youth ministry, and Joe, you have been in youth ministry for a long time. Yeah, how long have you been doing youth ministry? Well, let's see. It's been about uh, 20 years at Beverly Heights Church, 13 years at the chapel, which is now... Wow. The Bible, South Hills Bible Chapel. And before that, uh, it was uh, give or take another 10 years hmm. in different places. Wow. So you've seen like, some things. A few. Yeah, yeah you've just seen a few. things here and there. Yes. Well, I, I remember, well, and I said before we started, I'm hoping that this is the first time we met because this is my first memory I can remember of when we met. And it was at a fall retreat. We call it Lauraville. Oh, We've yeah. We talked about it on the podcast before. But it wasn't that I even saw you. I heard you. Yes. I heard the trombone playing after the 20 minutes oh, that's right. of silence. And I was like, who is this guy <laughs> playing the trombone? And then it was many times after that, PKF yes. meetings and Lauraville's that we got to know each other. Uh, and it was just uh, fantastic to, to hear your heart for kids as well as your love of music. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot in that. What um, song did he play? It was Amazing Grace. That's right. That's yeah. right. That yes. is the correct answer. You made me... I, I was <laughs> like, oh no. That was a quiz. That was a quiz. <laughs> it was, And then I went one year, and you weren't there that same week, and it was a car horn that led us out of 20 minutes of silence, and I was disappointed it wasn't Amazing Grace on the trombone. Yeah, and then they also had the bell. They've yeah. been the bell, too. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. So, Joe, yes. we'd love to hear a little bit more of your story. How did you get started in youth ministry? Um, and I know throughout this episode we're going to talk about what are some of the things you've learned over the years um you know this is different for jeremy and i we usually just talk back and forth with one another uh but it'll be great to engage someone else who's got some really good thoughts to bring to the table so we'll ask you some of those we'll have some questions along the way but tell us a little bit about like yourself in terms of maybe when you came to christ and how he threw you into ministry and he's mm -hmm. uh, had you in youth ministry this whole time well, I guess I have to start with where I grew up, and that was in the inner city of Philadelphia, mm. and uh, about uh, maybe seven or eight blocks from where the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air yes. was beat up and was sent yes. to California. That's called West that's, Philly High. That's right by the Pittsburgh or the Philadelphia Zoo, right? Uh, nope. No? no, it's not. No, I swear <laughs> I was. <laughs> no. I'm no. wrong about that. No, zoo's in a different place. I can't think of where the zoo is right now, but... No, I, uh, I grew up there uh, in southwest Philly, went to John Bartram High School, and uh, went to uh, Temple University undergrad as music ed in the trombone. And uh, so when I went there, I got my degree and started teaching in my old high school. 
And as I interacted with students, it was evident to me that I loved students. Yeah. And I loved connecting with their faith. So before school, I would have Bible studies with some of the students that I found out they were Christians. I'd give them rides to different places. They would show me where they worshipped, like storefront places. Yeah. And it was really cool. So I was there until 76. And then my wife won the audition to get into the Pittsburgh Symphony. She's also a musician wow. and she plays the cello. And so we moved to Pittsburgh. Hmm. And I left, we left our family, we left all of my jobs, uh, both teaching in high school as well as performing in different places in different bands. And when we came to Pittsburgh, I went back to school for trombone again. I got my master's at CMU and started freelancing and performing uh, on the trombone as a professional. And then the Benetum opened up and I uh, played in the orchestra there wow. as the first trombone in the opera and the ballet orchestras and occasionally with the symphony. So it was all music, but on the side, I, I volunteered at the chapel to do youth ministry. And I would run that, not knowing really what I was doing, but <laughs> I just, I just, I don't even for know what I'm doing years, now. And I've been doing this for a I while. I just <laughs> developed relationships. <laughs> yeah, we don't know really, yeah. and it takes a while. It takes yeah. years to really understand and and understand what God's trying to do, not only with you but through you mm-hmm. to others. And so, uh, I was at the chapel and really engaged in youth ministry, doing that. Um, around my music and because i freelanced and the music wasn't full-time right i could do that almost yeah. full-time i even had an office that they gave me and i'd go to the office every day and you know do my studying for for my talks and things like that and uh in the midst of that denny Patton was holding these things called uh youth training through pittsburgh institute of youth ministry p-i-y-m and they had it once a week, every Tuesday for seven weeks. And I said, hey, I want to go to that. And I took with me several people from our church, including David Good, who was my mentor. And and, uh, so we went and he drove me. We went to the first one and uh, it was really amazing to hear Denny, you know, speak to us from the heart. You know how dynamic he can be. Very passionate person. Very passionate, very committed like a prophet yeah Uh, and on the way home we parked where my car was and before i got out dave said you know joe this is really amazing what did you think i said oh my it was great Mm. he said well maybe it's time for you to hang up the trombone Mm. and i just broke down in tears i just i didn't know what to do so i decided that i would try to figure that out and i went home and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and then I went to the South Hills Village Mall because I live in the South Hills, mm-hmm. and I saw some goth guy, you know, with all the tats and everything, sure. you know, all in black, and I looked at him, and I thought, oh Lord, please help this person, you know, help him to find Christ. And then it came to me. I said, Lord, if not me, who? If not now, when? And that kind of was the my calling, my my original call. Yeah. And so I went back and I said, I'm giving up the trombone. I'm going to retire. Uh, or at least, you know, not, not do it as much and focus more on, on this. I didn't completely give up the trombone, but I really did this with, with such focus that this is what God's calling me. And I thought that he had called me not only to a ministry, but to a place. Mm. And I found out 
through trial and error that indeed it wasn't the place. It was the mm. ministry, yeah. right. but not the place. And so it can that, be easy to, yeah. to fall into that and yeah. feel that the, the place that you are is where you're supposed to, to be. Now, can you speak a little bit more about that relationship between you and your mentor? How did, oh, yes. how did that come about? What, <clears throat> yeah. what was that like? Well, it started actually uh, when I first moved to Pittsburgh. He was the only person I knew from Pittsburgh and he was uh, at th this camp when I was a kid, a Bible camp growing up, and he was one of the counselors, one of the coolest guys. He was a Marine, ex-Marine. You know, he, he was just rough and tumble, but he knew his scripture, and he was an elder mm -hmm. at, at uh, South Hills Bible Chapel when it was St. Clair Bible Chapel, when it was small. And so I said, I contacted him, said, hey, we're coming to Pittsburgh, we're looking to move. He said, stay at our house. And I said, okay, so we did. And then we found a place in the South Hills. We started going to the chapel. And then I said to him, uh, Dave, I I'd like to become a student of the Bible. Could you help me? Because he really knew his Bible. So for two years, every Wednesday morning at 730, I'd go to his house and meet. We'd study mm -hmm. the scriptures on leadership and all sorts of things. And so anytime I had a problem, anytime I had a question, uh, through thick and thin, he was the first person I'd call, like, yeah. In, in difficulties and in joy. And yeah. Sorrow. How old were you then at that moment? Oh, wow. Let me see. About. <laughs> Math. <laughs> yeah. That was in 1976. So 51, I was born. So uh, that's like 20 years, 67. Okay. Yeah, 75, 25 years. 25. Well, there was too many numbers in that. Yes, 25. We got to yeah, the end 25. numbers, 25. Okay, I think yeah. it's 25. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going to take a moment here to plug our next episode. Because yes. what you just shared is camp ministry discipleship that led to your call in youth ministry. And isn't that interesting that our next episode, when we sit down and talk, is going to be talking with uh, Roger and Jack from the PKF and talking about what discipleship looks like in camping and retreat ministry. And you just shared from your own life that it's a camp counselor that you spent time with that really pushed you into youth ministry. And I think that's in my own life, I experienced that as well. And so I just, I love hearing that. I love hearing the fruit of that type of discipleship ministry coming to fruition. So you can tune in next time that we meet yeah. to hear more about those types of stories. Thank you, Joe, for sharing that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Are you, you know, you've been at one church for how long? 20 years at so, Beverly Heights. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you've seen the youth ministry landscape. Oh, yeah. Over the years. What do you think... I mean, you were probably one of the pioneers in youth ministry, just so to speak. I mean, because the real youth ministry started up in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, they would kind yeah. of, you know, uh, if sociologically, you would push it back to that far. What do you think, what was what were the early years in youth ministry like? Because I think we were, you know, you and I were probably just a little bit in the middle of sure. it. You yeah. know, what, what were the early years like? Well, I really uh, would go to different people for help. Especially when I was at the chapel, I didn't know what I was doing. So I went to a guy named Don Nixon. He, he was the head of Youth for Christ in mm. Pittsburgh. And Youth for Christ was really cool because every year they'd have this big, giant, loose-leaf binder that would have all their Bible lessons and all their games and everything. And so I said, could I have one of those? And I would use that to kind yeah. of help chart it out. Uh, I didn't have a mission statement. I didn't have any idea. Just week to week, I would do that, kind of piecing it together. But I understood kind of 
in my heart that the main one of the most important things is relationships and mm. that i was really good at i mm. i loved the kids i loved hanging with them mm. i always got energy from them um, not that I was looking to do that, but I just noticed that when I'm around them, they have a I lot just, of energy to give. Yeah, when yeah. I did all those lock-ins over the years, you know, I would stay up later, late, as later, later than them. We never did all-nighters. Like I know you guys probably do that, but did we that. we were we were always civilized, and yeah. we, we at some point we put the little kids to bed, right? You know, especially yes. in middle school. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yes. you know, were you finding that kids were like, it, you know, there's excitement around youth ministry, I think, even these days. I think yeah. that I, I think in the middle there it was probably a good peak for it, right? I think yeah. it was just like this flood of students mm -hmm. and, you know, the 2000 to 2015, even in the mid 90s. So I felt like there was a lot of momentum around youth ministry in those years in that 20 years you know, or so period. You know, what was that like? Were, were you, was it hard to get students to show up when you first started? You well, know, what, we was that, what was very, that like? We were a very small church. Got it. And so we just had a handful of students. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really do a lot of evangelism at the time because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, mm -hmm. like that wasn't a component. Sure. But um, when we would go to different places, I'd take one or two students and we'd go to different, like Washington, D.C. or something to these big youth rallies and yep. things and, and conferences. And it was amazing to see all these kids there, hundreds and hundreds of them that would be there. Um, and so I didn't experience that so much uh, in our own little corner of where we were doing it. Um, I was always interested in connecting with other youth workers, mm. so I got to be friends with people like like uh, Don Nixon and a few others around at that time, and they were helpful. Uh, but again, I was kind of in the dark there. I, okay. I didn't didn't really have uh, the understanding that this was so much bigger than what I was just doing. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think in my first couple of years, it was like that too. It's just like, I knew what I wanted to do in terms of, I would get these, I want to love these kids. These kids need somebody. Yes. So it was all, you know, how do I say it? Oh, I, I, you know, I was all zeal with no wisdom. Yes. Yeah. And now yes. I'm all wisdom with no zeal. <laughs> so, actually, actually, you're in a very good place because let, let me, I, I wrote yeah, this go. down Absolutely. Uh, as something that I wanted to bring up. And sure. that is uh, one of the guys that was a, a great youth uh, worker, his name was Dan Webster, and he was out in Chicago. Uh, and uh, I went to one of his seminars. He talked about about leadership and about finishing strong mm -hmm. and longevity. And he said that that youth ministry is like a two act opera. <laughs> now I put in the opera part because I I used to play in the opera. I love opera. Sure. I love the music. Okay, but. He said it was like in two acts. The first act, you're young and vibrant. Mm. You don't know what you're doing, but you have a lot of energy. You're running all around. You play with kids a lot. Yeah. And then something happens where you're crushed, where, you know, you're broke. The Lord actually mm -hmm. breaks you down. Amen. And he completely just, just grinds you into dust. And then out of that, he shapes you like a potter mm. into what he wants you to become. And then you do youth ministry as you're older in the second act with wisdom, with understanding, knowing that you can't do it solo, mm. you know, engaging other people, really engaging the parents. And you begin to understand much deeper what youth ministry is all about. 
which is about Jesus and about relationships. Yeah, what what do you think your journey was like for you in that? Like, what, what was there a tipping point for you to feel as though, like, okay, I need to start making some changes or I feel like I'm discouraged and crushed, well, I need to switch things up? Yeah, well, what happened is I completely left youth ministry. Uh, I left the church. Uh, what happened is they uh, the chapel decided to bring in a, a new youth pastor who was right out of college. And so he wanted to start fresh. And so I wasn't really engaged there. And then my wife and I realized that God was calling us to another church, which was Beverly Heights Church. And so when I went there for several years, I was just there at church worshiping. Mm -hmm. I got to become an elder. I was invited on to be an elder. And then all this time, the passion is growing and growing and growing. And finally, they decided... Um, in around 1998 to 1997, they wanted to hire their first full-time youth worker. Didn't have to be ordained. Hmm. And I was on the committee. And so this is kind of like my recall, you might say. Hmm. And so they said, Joe, you're on the committee. And yet I know, because I know you, Joe, this is our associate pastor, Terry Tim. And he said, I know that you've been struggling with this for many years. And I, why don't you just step down from this committee and throw your ring in the hat? So I said, I'm leaving. I left. I walked right out of the room for the next three weeks. I remember it was on Wednesdays. I would fast in the morning. I'd drive to South Park. I'd read the scripture and just pray. And then I talked to my, my mentor, Dave Good, and asked his opinion. Should I give up music altogether? Uh, should I should I leave the opera and ballet orchestras and all the stuff I was doing and and then I talked to my brother I talked to my wife obviously you know she she thought it was a real they all were green lights and then I said okay and once I stepped off the cliff mm -hmm. I, I I couldn't do it fast enough mm -hmm. I told them before they hired someone I don't care if I do youth ministry here I could go to Timbuktu I don't care I have to do youth ministry mm -hmm. wherever it is it is. And I said, don't hire me because you know me and I'm a nice guy. Hire me because God has called you to hire me. Mm. So they had one other guy that was coming up from South Carolina that was going to come and, and uh, I said audition, but he was coming in to you know, talk to them and, and do a formal interview. And the day before he came, he said, God has called me to another place. It was like God kicked me through the door. Mm -hmm. And they said, come in. And I did several interviews. And then they hired me as their full, first full-time. Well, and again, what you're sharing is this idea that you weren't called to a place, but you were called to ministry. Exactly. And, and I think it can can be really easy. And, and those of you that are, are considering getting into ministry or thinking about it, um, uh, don't do it just because the job is there, hmm. right? And, and I think that that can be uh, a challenge when the job is there. You're like, oh, maybe this is a fit, but it, it's beautiful to hear that uh, what God has done in and through you. He called you to ministry once. And then he called you again. A recall. Yeah, a recall. Like a retread. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fantastic. Now, in, in your time at Beverly Heights, uh, what is something that as you look back on it surprised you that it worked? Like you did something you're like, oh, I didn't think this would work, but this yeah. ended up being one of those things that we just kept doing and doing and doing. What's something like that? Well, I would say it was a new thing. It wasn't something we kept doing. Uh, it was something new. I, I had gone to the uh, National uh, Youth Workers Conference and that uh, was here in Pittsburgh. And there was a guy there 
who talked about student-led adult-assisted small groups. And I got all his material, I studied it, and I got really excited. I went to our senior pastor, and I said, I'm really excited, I really wanna do this. And so I'd like to completely change things. I don't want it to be at the church. I want it to be in homes. I want parents to be there to help uh, at least serve and see what we do. And we'll have small groups and we'll, we'll, we'll have students lead it and I'll mentor them so that they can teach. They can do the teaching and we always end with a gospel presentation. So it was more evangelical mm-hmm. in nature. Mm-hmm. And my pastor, who understood much better than I did what was going on, where we were, how the parents were doing, said, no, Joe, please don't do that. Hmm. He said, now it's not the time. So I said, okay. And for two years, I waited. And then when I felt it was the time, I went back and he said, go ahead. And it was amazing how things exploded. I'm not talking about huge numbers, but percentage-wise, it was like 100, 200% of, of a smaller group, you know, growing. And the kids uh, having to not only teach the lesson and lead the discussion, but present the gospel each time. And they would bring their friends, you know, and they were all coming. We got such a large group, we couldn't fit into one house. And so here was the problem. We tried to split it up and have two. They said, no, we love each other. We want to stay together. So it had kind of a a ceiling on it because of that. I didn't build that into it. But at the time... And we did this for a while, but not completely. It really, really worked. Yeah, I think we've talked last season about how important articulation of the faith is for young students um, and getting them to not only understand what it is they believe, but how to actually share it with other people. And I think part of it, yeah, part of it's, it's like two prong. Once, once is the like they know they have the knowledge. The other is the passion and the desire to actually share it with other people. So I think sometimes you find youth group kids that have a lot of information and they know their stuff, but they don't combine that with taking advantage of opportunities to actually share that with other people. Because we understand that can be uncomfortable, so on and so forth. But it seemed like I mean, this is just my pers- my perspective from being you know a guy who's like sat back and heard stories from you know the. Uh, the older youth ministry people in my life is that there was just this vibrant time where everybody wanted to learn and everybody mm. was excited. I think we still have some of that, but I don't sense it as strong as at least the tall tales from the past. I, I don't know if you've had that same experience. I, I would agree. Uh, and I think it when we're looking at uh, the macro view of youth ministry, uh, obviously every individual context is going to be a little bit different, but I, I would agree. I, and I think that that has a large part to do with uh, just attention span um and and i mean and and not to say that attention span wasn't there but think of all the things that kids have now that we didn't have growing up right in our when i was in youth ministry maybe we desired community more than they do i don't know it's just because it was a natural built-in i mean they find community in non-communicative ways which is very interesting too by the way that was one of your podcasts that i really really enjoyed and and uh listened to all of them from last year but that one in particular when you talked about that and how that that is a deficit in in their lives because they don't know how to interact there's no community there Mm. which is what led to another big thing if i could share this that happened that was a shock and a surprise with that, with more and more technology growing in their lives, the texting, the Facebooks at the time when they were then when they were doing Facebooks a number of years ago, and all those sort of things, they just needed to get together. And 
our pastors were so wise that they came and said, we'd like you to think about changing the culture of the youth ministry and try to do something around a meal. And don't worry about teaching so intensely for like speaking for 20 minutes and breaking into small groups. If they go to church on Sunday morning, they will get that. But let's focus for these next few years on the fellowship and on God sightings and sharing those things around a meal. And so we did that and we called it fusion. Mm. And uh, it was something that really exploded again. Uh, it was something that kids really needed. And so for a time we did that. And uh, I thought that was another example of how surprising something happened that, that in, in the youth ministry. And also when you look at the landscape, uh, different, different things in their lives change how you do youth ministry. Not that you should ever change preaching about Jesus Christ mm -hmm. being central and also helping them. I love the fact that you guys do stuff where you're teaching them how to share their faith mm -hmm. and apologetics. I, oh, I loved your, your podcast on apologetics. I thought, that's me, you know, I'm scared away from it. That's, you know, just like what you said. Yeah. And uh, it's really, really important. So that's just an example. And I would say overall, from what you're saying in, in this conversation, that there's ebbs and flows in ministry all the time. And you have to realize that if you're in it for the long haul, you're always going to have lean times, and then you're going to have times where it's really exciting. And if you just stick to it, keep the relationships and focus on Jesus as your youth ministry. I think that's helpful. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, let's take a short break. And when we come back, I want to talk some more about what those ebbs and flows can look like and how we can learn and maybe take some practical advice as we're looking at long-term learns in ministry. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with you in a moment. Hey, if you're listening and you're finding this helpful, go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to us and it really helps get the algorithm rolling so that more people can hear what we're talking about. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please consider liking, commenting, subscribing, all that good stuff. Let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. We're excited to continue with this conversation with Joe Williams. Joe, I was during the break, I had this question right before you were wrapping up. I wanted to throw your way. So you've seen a lot of the youth ministry landscape and especially, you know, I think there, there, there was a time where there was like a youth ministry just culture. There still is, right? There's a culture. What would you say is like a youth ministry culture fad or thing that was happening over the years that you would look back and you go, man, am I glad that that fad is over in youth ministry? Like what everybody was trying to do or some exciting thing that they were trying to experiment with that didn't really work. You know, what, I mean, I think ours would be the, the lock-in phase. That would be an example of something like that. What about in your years where you're thinking through like, okay, like people were trying stuff out and you're like, okay, I'm, 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 there, no one's going to lose sleep at night now that that fad is over. I guess for me, it was more the crazy games, the crazy games where you could ri risk life and limb. <laughs> <laughs> like Chubby and, Bunny? Yeah. <laughs> well, more than that. But, uh, you know, we, we want to kick off. We, we, we had a little money in the budget, so we hired these giant a company to bring in, you know, like you put on a Velcro and you jump and spring and yes, try yeah, to stick it. Yeah. And then the dunking thing where you throw the yeah, ball. Yeah. We had three or four and made it into a carnival and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, if you stop and think about well, why are you doing that? And you think, you know, what is this? What's going on here? 
and you think, oh, we're just trying to get uh, the non-church person to to come in and to, you know, to have all this rah-rah. And you do that, and it only lasts so far. And then when you get into something serious, they're like, oh, no. It's almost like bait and switch. It isn't, but mm. but maybe they think it is. And I'd rather go on sincere relationships, you know, getting to know, bring a friend, come to a lock-in. We actually love lock-ins and we still do those. <laughs> Although I've retired from lock-ins because it was so the one good, thing. That'll be mine. I'll, good, I've good for you. No, <laughs> no but lock-ins was one of the things that we did well because we always had a time of sleep. Mm. But we, we, we got that down. We did evangelistic lock-ins. We did, um, you know, discipleship lock-ins. And I'd say that was one of the more effective things. So isn't it interesting how different churches and different environments and church cultures have different ways of doing that? But I'd say the big games where, where you can get really hurt. <laughs> what about like the throw-up games? Like oh, where yeah. basically we're just yeah, going to throw I, as I had much those, pro yeah. stuff into this. And, yeah, and see yeah it's the, the bag. You know, you have to eat whatever's in the bag, you know, baby food and stuff. Yeah, whatever. I mean, you wouldn't put anything like dog do in there, but, but you just... <laughs> You just, just, I remember one time we were playing early on at, at the chapel, and this we had this bag, and everyone had pulled something out yep. and eat it. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what it was, but one of the girls, uh, she ate it, and she went right for the bathroom. It was just crazy. So I'd say for us, because we've never been a big game kind of group, because we're a smaller group, yeah. a smaller church. And so when we tried to do it, it was out of our element. We It cost a lot of money. And the return on it really wasn't wasn't good. So I'd say that was one of the one. Of yeah, the and I think that still exists <clears throat> predominantly oh, yeah. today. I think you know uh, you did listen to our attractional youth ministry episode. <clears throat> yes, and I, I think did. We we, had, we addressed that there. I think those things are fine, but it was the end goal of it, right? So I think you know I have a I have a student right now. It's like I want you to bring back games, and I'm like, we haven't had games for like three years. Like what are you, you know? What are you talking about? Bring like back. yeah, bring bring back games. That's how you get kids in the I door. I remember the old days. Yeah, those, those <laughs> so the good long old ago. the good old days. Yeah, so long ago. Let well, me good. just yeah, let me ahead. just say yeah. that that uh, we still do games, but they're games with a right. purpose. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. they have an idea. You know, there's a purpose there. Um, for the most part. So. Yeah, we try to do like community games if we yeah. do any of them. Like we try to do things where it's like uh, like a small group works together. Like yeah. the, we did a, um, what's the thing we did? Scavenger uh, hunts? No, we did something. We've done those in the past too, but we did a uh, kind of like a game show night. Yeah. But instead of like the contestants being individuals, they were broken off into into groups and they all competed with one another. There's this big prize at the end. So it was small group leaders and their kids like having fun. I, like two weeks ago, I remember hearing kid talk to a leader about that night. Yes. And those are the things that I think yeah. you want to create is this, the community that forms them tighter. Yeah. Now, talking about Laurelville, they have wonderful games there. And I think that's the perfect place for it. When, Especially you know, the football. mud football, Especially the mud, all that stuff. Why don't you keep us going? Yeah. Here? Yes. So um, one of the things that you've mentioned briefly in our time here, but we know in our talking with you that you have uh, a mission statement that really directs and leads what you do in ministry. And so... Can you share for a little bit how your mission statement has kept you focused on the task of discipleship? Because I think that it's very easy. We just talked about fads. We talked. To, it's very easy to get see something shiny and say, oh, I want to go do that thing or mm-hmm. I want to go try this thing. Or um, we try something for a season. It doesn't work. We move on to the next thing. And so we get very scatterbrained ADHD yes. in our methodology. How has your mission statement helped you on the task of staying focused on discipling students? 
Well, I think that it's so important because, uh, you know, for the first half of my ministry, it was exactly that. It was all scattered. You know, it was a shotgun approach to things. And then I realized that I needed to write a mission statement for our for student ministries at Beverly Heights. And it took a long time. It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, you sit down, you talk to people, you brainstorm, you come up with a few ideas, and you start to try to parse it out and grapple with it. And it's really important that it's in line with your church's Mm -hmm. mission statement because I really believe in integrating the ministry of youth ministry. It's part of the overall church, and I know you spoke to that in one of your podcasts as well. And so I would say that when you finally get it, you can say to yourself, well, in ours, it was win, build, and equip students to become devoted followers of Christ, there's a discipleship, and devoted friends to one another. And then it, we tacked on something at the end where it says, and to help parents to nurture their students in Christ. Hmm. And so when you think of win, build, equip, you know, is this a win? Is this evangelistic? Is this build as in, you know, you're building people up in the face, discipleship? Sorry, discipleship. Cut that first part out. <laughs> and then, <laughs> or not. I don't care. <laughs> and and build was more leadership development and things. And build and equip. I'm sorry. Win, build, and equip. The build and equip are are more discipleship. And I, I looked at equip more as, as leadership training. Mm-hmm. And I got the ideas of that from the relational highway too, which is a picture of, of a road that you're on and you're leading students and right in the middle is Christ and that's the point of conversion. So that's evangelism. And then you keep moving on on that road uh, as you develop and you grow in your faith, but then you circle back around to bring others on that road and that's, you know, helping others, you know, mm. that's the multiplying that you talk about so much. Disciples making disciples, mm. which I love that concept. And that, that was from Scott Stevens. Uh, I got that from him because he was also one of my mentors. Mm. When I got back to Beverly Heights, I, I called Pittsburgh Kids Network and I said to them, who's doing youth ministry very effectively in the South Hills? And they said, oh, you got to talk to Scott Stevens. That's when he was at the community church in... Uh, I can't remember now. Pleasant, Pleasant, uh, oh, Pleasant Hills, Hills, yeah. Pleasant Hills, Community Presbyterian. Well, then soon it was who's doing youth ministry well in the South Hills, and you know who the answer was, Joe, Joe Williams. Williams. You know, I don't know about that. You became the South Hills <laughs> no. guy. Well, I don't know. I <laughs> people else would just ask. Left, and it was just Joe at that point. So. <laughs> Let me just, just maybe a thought about whenever I would talk to other youth workers. Hmm. The first question, what's the first question they always ask? How many do you have? I would always say, oh, it's it's just a small group. You know, you know, it just but it's one at a time. You know, it's one person at a time. So that's always been so. uh, Yeah. Well, and and one at a time, I think, leads perfectly in my next question, because I would love to hear more about how you approached one on one discipleship. How did, how did you do that with students with a smaller group over a longer period of time? How did you approach meeting with students, discipling them, uh, leading them, as you've been saying, like leadership opportunities? What were some of the things you did to do that? Well, I would meet with them one-on-one. I always did that. And because I was mentored by Dave Good, and before that, 
when I was a young person and going to college in Philly, Bob Scott. Because of those people, I love mentoring. Mm -hmm. And so that was a natural thing. I do that better than anything else, or I, I did that better than anything else in ministry, I thought, the small group one-on-one -on -one stuff. So I'd identify, I'd get a female leader to do that with the, with the girls, mm -hmm. but I'd focus on the guys. And when I found a guy that showed some interest, some spark, some you know, connection, I would go and I'd say, hey, let's go out you know, and eat, let's talk. And then I'd invite them to be on the leadership team. That was one way. Another way that already is set up in our church, and it's so great, it's confirmation. Mm -hmm. Our confirmation process is it's 13 weeks long. Every Sunday morning for Sunday school or Christian ed, they go to a class that's taught by our senior pastor, Nate Devlin. And then they have, uh, they have sponsors or mentors mm -hmm. that lead them through that. Every year, for some reason, I don't know why, but I get picked. So I would go and I'd meet with them. And this is like, oh, man, this is, this is what I love to do. Hmm. So I meet with them. We study the stuff. It's real discipleship. You're learning about your faith. Mm -hmm. You're memorizing verses. And then we take it from there. And then I never stop meeting with them. Hmm. I just keep meeting with them. And to this day, uh, you know, guys call me back and they say, hey, let's get together for coffee. And uh, so it's it. So that's kind of how I did it. I used the church, what was already there, and then I went out and I do that. And occasionally, not too many times, I would go to uh, concerts or I'd go to the football games just to see mm -hmm. see kids there in mm -hmm. their natural habitat. The <laughs> other thing I did that was really cool, and I found this to be much more effective, is I take my trombone and go into the high school and the middle school in Upper St. Clair, which is where. Uh, our church is close to it's in Mount Lebanon mm -hmm. and I'd go to the Mount Lebanon middle school there and I'd go and just play and help the teacher because I was I was a band director yeah. in middle school and high school in Philly so so I'd go in I'd do that the kids see me there oh what are you doing there you know? <laughs> and when I'd go into the high school the the director of the high school was the first trumpet player in the opera and ballet and I played right behind him so we became very wow. good friends and so wow. he'd say, this is Joe Williams. He plays great trombone, you know. And he'd say, and he's also the, the youth pastor at Beverly Heights Church. Say that in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And I just play in the trombone section. Maybe that's my problem. I don't play trombone. That's okay. That's it. I play a guitar. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you play very well, everybody, Joe. Everybody yeah. plays guitar, I guess. I don't. Not as well as you. <laughs> no. Um, I wonder if there's anything else I wanted to jump on that. That was really good. I love this all this wisdom stuff. I think I think the encouraging part for me too is like I feel like I'm ahead of schedule mm. on like some of my own mistakes that I've learned to hear what you're saying. It just yes. it's just reinforcing some of the things. I I think that Jeremy and I are taking a risk in this podcast in some regards because I do think there is a a large landscape of youth ministry that is still trying to do the number inflation and do the you know, do the get the biggest crowd in the room, and I we just we're just concerned that that doesn't bring out the long term success that people are you know really desiring. I think that everybody goes in desiring to do successful ministry, but mm -hmm. I I don't think you're able to stay in it for as long to see some of those mistakes that you've made. So I you know it's encouraging to me to feel like I'm on the right path because a guy who's been through it, seen it all, is saying, hey, we need to concentrate on these. And, and in some ways, it sounds like this is how youth ministry started. It was with a lot of those mentor ideas, and, and now it's just become something else um, entirely. And I think it's, um, 
you know, I, that's why I think this podcast exists, and we're glad that you're our first guest on this. Well, I'm honored. I'm yeah. honored to be. I have one other comment yeah, I was go, just thinking about. Go. One of the reasons why you can do that and not worry about the numbers is because you're not really focused as much on the kids as you're focused on the family. You're focused mm -hmm. on the parents. And now you guys have talked about this a lot in your previous podcast, but I really believed when I started, I really believed in family-based youth ministry by Mark DeVries. That was one of the first mm -hmm. books I read. And because I was older when I started, back, the, the, the recall. The recall. Yeah, yeah, I was in my 40s in the recall. And uh, so when I started, I just thought I'm old, as old or older than most parents. So actually, I leveraged that, mm -hmm. that age thing. I would have a harder time getting to know some of the high school kids because, as you know, their shields are all up. Mm -hmm. But if you were patient and consistent, eventually you'd crack through. And then it was so much deeper. The relationship mm -hmm. was so much deeper. Mm -hmm. But with parents, immediately... They connected with me and I with them. So I really went through the parents. And the other thing I always did, and I recommend this for everybody, whether you're young, middle-aged, or old like me, is always find an opportunity to say something nice about a parent's son or daughter. Mm -hmm. I just look for those times. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'd see someone, I'd say, hey, you know, your son did this and it was awesome. You know, because as a parent myself, I have a 24-year-old a now, but as a parent, whenever I heard that, I'd go, wow, she actually is different there than she is at home. She's not driving me crazy, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I hope my daughter doesn't hear this. Claire, I love you. <laughs> well, and, and as we're, we're getting a wrap up here, uh, I think it can be really helpful for someone who's looking back, and we've shared some of what you've seen over the years, if someone was starting out today or discerning the call to youth ministry and they come across this podcast, what is something, a piece of advice that you would give uh, a young person who's looking to start out in youth ministry? Where would you tell them to start? What advice would you have for that person? I would say pray a lot. Hmm. Ask for God's guidance and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I would say also to uh, make sure that they understand what their calling is mm. and to go to someone who's older, whether it's their pastor or someone else that they can trust like I did, like my mentor, and say, this is crazy, but I'm thinking of leaving professional trombone and teaching at Pitt and Duquesne and, and going completely into youth ministry. And what do you think? You know, getting that, I'd say getting ideas from other people mm. And then establishing a network of people, of friends who will support you and pray for you. Those would be the three things I would say that are really off the top of my head that are really crucial. That's great advice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Good. Joe, this has been a blessing to have you on here, to have you share um, and to bring to, the, to light, you know, a lot of these things that maybe we miss sometimes and that it's good to be reminded of and, and that called of, of making disciples who make disciples. Yes. And, uh, it's, it's hard. It's that, you know, in our, in our, uh, pre-production meeting, you're talking about the marathon, you know, it is, it is a marathon and then we need to keep at it. And it, you know, we'll have moments, we'll get cramps and things will get discouraging and all that. Um, but this has been a blessing to have you on. And I hope that those who are listening or watching were blessed by this as well. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Disciple Making Youth Ministry Podcast. You can follow us on YouTube, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you're listening or watching. Uh, We thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Joe, thank you for coming on and cracking off season two uh, as we're doing the diners, drive-ins, and dives of youth ministry and and talking to people that have been faithful in this um, for a long time. And we appreciate your time in youth ministry and look forward to hearing uh, more stories as you continue to serve as an elder at uh, Beverly Heights Church. Friends, thank you so much, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Disciple Making Youth Ministry Podcast. We sure do hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe wherever it is you consume your podcast. We hope you have been encouraged by what you have heard and you're ready to jump into the hard work of disciple making. Catch you on the next one.